Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are getting into another Breaking It Apart episode where we flip our format upside down and look at an old movie and what movies it may have itself inspired. And we are going to be looking at the James Caan classic, Michael Mann's first feature theatrically released film thief and uh, this is a movie that had its 40 year anniversary this year and so you may have heard other podcasts talking about it i know it's been kind of going around a lot and uh, people are talking about this movie a lot i know i saw it way back in the day like back in high school or whatever um but it had been a long long time and my guest for the episode Q, David Quinones from the Bird Road podcast, which is, of course, my other podcast that you should be listening to if you're enjoying piecing it together. But Q brought this one to my attention. I'm sure that he had uh, listened to some other podcasts talking about it and thought it would be a good one for us to talk about. I've been, I've had Q on a bunch of piecing it togethers over the years, but uh, never on a breaking it apart. So I've always wanted to have him on one of these, and he suggested it, and so we're going to talk about it. So that is coming up here in a second. Before we do get to it, though, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. So let's get into this conversation about Michael Mann's Thief. All right, so Q is here to talk with me about Michael Mann's Thief. Q, how's it going? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to uh, to get a podcast. What's up? To, uh, introduce yourself. Definitely in line with uh, with. Michael Mann's 1981 yes. Thief. Yes, that's the way to do Thief it. That's what, do, do you think people were, yeah. were, were making grand gestures like that at that point in time in, in the early 1980s? Yeah, sure. Weren't they doing the Bud Light commercials back then where it was like, Woo, that'll be. That, was, that was around then, I think. Yeah, it was 1981-ish. <laughs> well, I know that this film just had its 40th anniversary. You brought this one to me, and I'm assuming that that's why. I'm assuming you saw some of the coverage from various uh, outlets and podcasts and whatnot that have been talking about this movie all over the place. Is that right? That's right. Um, I hadn't seen this movie ever. Okay. I had to watch it. I had to watch it. I had not seen it. Um, I'm a huge Michael Mann fan, but you and I, we have that. And 1981 is right there on the cusp right, right. Of, our, of our weird bugaboo about, I think, like, what was it? I don't remember. We said there's times we've, we've said 1975. There's times we've said 1985. But like, just we aren't big into old looking movies. Like, <laughs> we don't like old looking movies. Like it's hard for us. To, I'm not a film student. I don't appreciate it. I don't need to like. I don't need to see Rashomon. Like I, it's fine. I'll be fine without it. Um. So, but this one um, was not the case. This was one of the good ones. Yeah, well, it, it's definitely one of the good ones, but it also, I think it's such a great movie for us to cover on this Breaking It Apart episode because it is so influential with just how uh, stylized everything is, with how yeah. 
it, it creates this character of the, uh, you know, the, the criminal trying to go straight with his life and, and start this new path in his life. But, you know, of course, the crime pulls him back in. And that's such like a thing that we've seen in so many movies since then. But it still really does feel fresh. And I'm sure I saw this once a long time ago, uh, but this was definitely my first time in many, many years watching it. I also haven't seen a lot of Michael Mann recently. I mean, of course, I've seen Heat. Of course, I've seen, you know, Collateral. I've seen a bunch of his other films. But, you know, Collateral is always probably my favorite of his films. Do you have a favorite of his before you watch this? Heat. Uh, Hands down, Heat is his best. The correct answer is Heat. It's always Heat. Yeah. And any question about is your favorite whatever, whatever, whatever (laughs) movie, just, you know, change the qualifiers as much as you want. The answer is always Heat. Right, right. I, I think that's fair. That's definitely fair. Like, but much love to Collateral. Uh, by the way, we always say this when we're on this um, when we're on this show. A Q and Jewish Dave special saw it together. In the we theater. did see that, didn't we? Yeah, I, we I always forget that, that we saw it together. But uh, yeah, that, that's 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 a good freaking movie. But uh, anyway, underrated too. And it's time, wasn't it? Kind of panned a little bit. Like, wasn't? Isn't that kind of a an, a, an evolving or not evolving a um a static thing with Michael Mann where a lot of his stuff gets panned in the moment. And then like a few years later, people, I think that it. very much so. And I think this is an example of it with thief, but yeah, I think definitely with collateral, I think that a lot of the thing with collateral is that it was so tied to Tom Cruise and his image at the moment. And, and people couldn't disconnect it from that. So it, it made it yeah, difficult it for, for people to like, just accept it as the film that it was, but I thought he ruled in it. And I thought that Jamie, that, um, that Jamie Foxx playing a sh- the straight man was fucking great, especially in that moment where Jamie Foxx still had the, the kind of imprimatur of um in living color on him you still thought of him as that character from in living color as the various characters he played on in living color for him to show that the chops in that movie and um you know i don't remember if ali or ray came out before i I guess it came out after both of those turns i think so yeah it was right around the same time like he he did nobody was taking james nobody was taking he had been in an awful movie and we're going off. This is all of a sudden now. This is um. This is collateral cast yeah. starring Q and Jewish Dave. But <laughs> sure. we um. It, it is funny though because he had another Q and Jewish Dave special that was fucking terrible. A movie called Bait that was like a wannabe Michael Mann. Movie. I don't remember, remember that this? at all. No. Okay, let me see if I can refresh your memory. Uh, Jamie Fox is very much like an everyman in this movie. Uh, he he's got the Jamie Fox energy. The like the funny in living color. Like he's the he's the comic relief. He's goofy. And um, he's down on his luck. He's fresh out of prison. And he's used as bait by the police who are trying to catch a um, uh, his cellmate. And his cellmate, I guess, like, I forget the details, but they like tr- he, the, the cellmate trans- transferred some important information to him. And um, it's a two-hander between him and that one big guy, that big blonde actor who's always like an angry cop. And anyway, it was a terrible movie. And I think if I remember David Morse, you know, David uh, yeah, Morse? I remember that guy. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So David Morse is a cop who's sort of a villain and softens up through the movie and eventually ends up partnering with Jamie Foxx to fight against um, you know, the real bad guys. Uh, so whatever. All of that is to say that this was like a dark range wrenched you know, wannabe Michael Mann, wannabe. It was in that era of like wannabe Quentin Tarantino movies. Every movie was trying to be a Tarantino movie. Absolute dog shit. And it's, you know, great that Michael Mann cast Jamie Foxx after that huge fucking boner of a movie to be in Collateral, which I love as much as you, just not as much as he. Well, I think Bait could be a puzzle piece that we're going to talk about here, but maybe we'll leave that one off uh, since we already talked about it. But, uh, no, the, I, would for... nev- I would not disrespect Thief by putting Bait as a puzzle piece. That'd be like... <laughs> Ugh. That'd be like putting like things to do in Denver when you're dead with Pulp Fiction. Uh, I mean, I, I guess if it's inspired by it, uh, what are you going to do? But... Uh, so for those of you joining us for the first time on a Breaking It Apart episode, this is going to be the Where opposite. have you been? <laughs> Where have you been? This is going to be the opposite of our usual formula. Instead of looking at a new movie and what movies inspired it, we're looking at an older movie, of course, in this case, Thief, and what movies it inspired for our puzzle pieces. So it's just the whole thing, but backwards. And Q, what do you have for your first puzzle piece here? So my first puzzle piece is one that I think I might be stealing from you. Broadly, my first puzzle piece 
is the movies and the collected movies and television shows of uh, one of my favorite creators, Nicholas Winding Refn, and mm -hmm. specifically the movie Drive, which I know we both love. Sure. It, I mean, what can I say? It's it's a tone piece, and that's really what um, what Thief was. I mean, you can you can give all the like technical explanations of why it's so great, and you know the plaudits for the cast, which absolutely deserve it. But at the end of the day, I don't think anybody had created like a nighttime, you know, Chicago-y, you know, rain-swept street tone piece like this before. And mm -hmm. for and uh, obviously, Drive is not exactly the same, and the movies and films, of, or sorry, the movies and uh, shows of Nicholas Winding Revan are not the same. A lot of them, I think, take place in, in L.A. for the most part, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But they, sure. give, they give it the same treatment. Right, yeah. like they, they they treat. There's more rain falling in a Nicholas Winding Refn movie in L.A. than L.A. gets in a calendar year. Sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> uh, that's my number one. Um, my number one piece that I've broken apart. Uh, yes, Drive. Yeah, absolutely has to be on this list. I I think that it's it's such a movie that shows up on piecing it together a lot as well. Whenever you're just talking about just like hyper stylized kind of neo-noir, but with that like neon lit edge to it. And uh, yeah, it, that is totally present here with thief. You also get this, this main character who is just like, you know, such a tough guy who is completely the best at his job and there's just no fucking with him. It's just yeah. not going to happen. But you, you know, know? Look, I'll, 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 I'll I'll take you on a little bit in that summation because one thing that I did think was very similar, you know, like I'll disagree with you a little. And the reason why I say that is that a similarity that they have drive and, um, and thief is how about this? You don't see this so much in the modern era. Mm -hmm. If thief was made today, James Khan's character would be a black belt and he'd be unbeatable mm -hmm. in the case of thief. And then, of course, in the case of Drive, as we see in the end, not to spoil a 10-year-old movie, but fucking go see Drive if you haven't Spoil seen it. Spoiler away. Spoiler alert. Um, like, both of those characters are vulnerable. They're not superhuman. Mm -hmm. They both can, can lose, and they do yeah. lose on occasion. Um, right. They, you know, the, the, them winning is not a foregone conclusion. There are times when they get their ass kicked. There are times when they, you know when they fuck up and even though they're hyper competent characters they still will fuck up now you look at other movies especially more like latter day movies like more recent movies they would make the the character like uh, like the character in the TV show we were just watching uh, warrior where <laughs> yeah. he can just slice through 40 irishmen with like with roundhouse kicks and yeah. they would make him they would make him incredible and um that's one thing that uh, that they do not do in, yeah in well Thief. I, I will I will just follow up on that real quick and just say that when when I say that he's not going to lose, I meant it more in the overall picture. Like he sees multiple steps ahead, and while yeah, he may get his ass kicked in the moment, he's eventually going to win the uh, the whatever it is that he's kind of set himself out to do. Are we meant to think? By the way, this is like the I don't know if you've ever all the times that you've invoked drive as a puzzle piece on this show. Have you ever weighed in on whether or not? he dies at the end like what's your take does he die in the end or does he not die it's been a while since i've actually watched it and i i should rewatch it sometime soon and i'll let you know like my thought on that because i i don't remember like having a definitive i think it was just so open-ended that i just wasn't sure okay okay cop out but that's fine yeah. What's your piece, Dave? Well, i'll go for my first piece here and i'll go on the other end of the uh neon tinged always raining Ryan Gosling starring film with the blockbuster version, Blade Runner 2049. Okay. And I, I'm going to go with that world, which obviously, instead of going for the down and dirty and gritty of, of a Michael Mann type of project like we did with Drive, we're going for as big as can possibly be, which just, I don't even remember the budget, but I'm guessing it was somewhere north of 100 million, maybe 200 million or something on Blade Runner, which was, of course, not 
made back because nobody really wanted a new Blade Runner, unfortunately. Uh, but that's, you know, another point. The, the point being, though, you've got the big, huge synth score. You've got the neo-noir influences. You've got the, the hyper-stylized visuals. And honestly, between Drive and Blade Runner, I, I feel like Ryan Gosling kind of captures a similar feeling that James Caan in this particular era uh, was kind of, I think he's going for that same kind of a cool, whether or not Ryan Gosling captures it, I guess is up to whether or not you're a fan of his, but uh, I definitely think that he's got a similar uh, touch to him. Okay. I like that movie. I, it got shit on so much before I saw it though. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very strange story. That movie, like it's got, it's just absolute, just rabid fans who just think it is the greatest thing. I don't particularly love it, to be honest. Like I, I, I really like Ryan Gosling. I don't love the movie, but there's elements of it that I really love. And I, I feel like funny enough, those elements are the things that I think it got mostly from thief. I think, I think it's those, those visual things. It felt like the Harrison Ford parts were tacked on. Like yeah, definitely. Afterthought. Like, like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then Harrison Ford in his typical, like, truculent manager was like, I'm not busy. I guess I can show up for a day. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get impressions on this episode, but I'm, I'm Well, no, I'm that's my impression of Harrison Ford in the very famous interview where he was just like, it's about fucking, it's, it's, a, it's a space movie. I don't know what to tell you. There's, <laughs> there's little furry creatures. What do you want? Like, leave me alone, which... You that famous respect. interview. That famous interview. You've heard that, right? I'm not I, I have heard. I yeah, know yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to invoke a Gene Hackman movie, even mm-hmm. though there there are some like you know it's funny. There's like some you know uh, shades of French Connection involved in what we're talking about, and like so I could probably talk about Gene Hackman, but like I heard it mentioned on another podcast, and I want to put this to you: Is there another actor like Gene Hackman? That is such a unique actor that could only be that one guy. And there's nobody else like that guy. There's yeah. nobody who can be that guy. Like, what, are you, what a weirdly unique actor. Yeah, I think that's what makes him so so damn interesting. I mean, I think like a Willem Dafoe is like the closest thing I could think of off the top of my head. Even still, like Willem Dafoe could never play like that, that erudite high class guy who's also been a scumbag in his life. You know, yeah. like... I don't know. Anyway, I just, I, I, I love, I, I never get to be on movie podcasts. And if I have the chance to talk about uh, Gene Hackman's um, unique position in the pantheon of great actors, I'm going to yeah, do he, it. Yeah, he, he's awesome. He is awesome. I'm going to piss you off right now because I'm going to steal one that I'm 100% sure that you have. And I don't have any right to it because you are the bigger fan of these filmmakers. But I would say the only difference, and I, I guarantee if you ask these two brothers, they will tell you that they were absolutely um, inspired by Thief and inspired by the work of Michael Mann. I would go with, I think it's 2018 or 2017? 2017. Good Time by the uh, Safdie brothers. Uh, Benny and uh, Benny and Josue uh, Safdie. Yes. <laughs> and um, the reason I thought of Good Time was sort of the like the controlled manic energy of it, the way that it was very like, kind of quietly tightly wound um the thing that really reminded me of it was there were there were two scenes that i thought were were parallel path scenes that 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 were like like you could have been watching these two scenes in the same movie and it was when this measured thoughtful character uh measured thoughtful but also like i said before violent and um and super competent and capable character that um that james con was playing lost his shit in mm-hmm. the um in the uh the adoption agency yeah yeah and yeah and i i thought of that and i thought of the main character in good time um played as it was by robert pattinson and uh what was that character's name David? connie big... connie the way that connie always kind of had his shit together if he was scamming his girlfriend if he was trying to get a ride if he was trying to get a few bucks out of somebody if he was trying to convince his um disabled brother to go along with him on something that he shouldn't be doing but there were moments, and I think the one that struck me was like when he was interact interacting with that uh with the the wrong guy that Connie had taken out of the hospital. Um yeah. and he lost his shit. The very famous, like, you think you're better than me, I am better than you've seen. Like I felt some kinship between those two main characters. Yeah. And apart again from the the general tone, um, particularly with these two movies, the score 
the sort of oh, yeah. overpowering score, the like I don't know what you call that when 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 you have a score that is um or soundtrack or you know sound bed or whatever that is very like heavy and bassy and and it pushes you over a little bit and um kind of like mandy right like like yeah like that another kind of great sound. example of that for sure you normally shy away from it as a composer like you you don't want to overpower the scene you want to just kind of support it but uh it's it's a very specific thing and when it's done right it can just be so powerful and just really make the movie something different and special what did you think of the score and the way that they use music in thief and if this relates to one of your pieces you already have maybe you can just do that piece but uh, i i don't know you as a as a composer i'm wondering like what your uh, more technical take on 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 that was. it's one of my favorite things about the movie and it, it'll come up a few times throughout my pieces so yeah no problem there but i i love the score and you know, not to make it about me, which I know we, we joke about a lot, me. but I mean, <laughs> me, the, this score reminds me so much. It's Tangerine Dream, of course. Dave, do you want to explain to your, do you want to explain to your, to your listeners the me inside I, joke between us? I, I don't know if I even can. I mean, it's kind of your impression of me talking about me, but <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You talking about yourself. Yes. <laughs> which, which I tend to do a lot. Which I mean, happens you know. quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it, this music in this film, I think, is the closest thing I've ever heard to what I do on my albums, Me. Um, my David Rosen albums. And while I was listening to it, I was like, God damn it. I was like, I really need to listen to Tangerine Dream more because this is exactly what I go for when I sit down to compose music. What exactly like was Tangerine Dream? I feel like this is a blind spot for me um, culturally. I don't really know. Was yeah, it a band? I, I was it like a... Yeah, it's a it's a band. It's it's a, I believe a, a German duo, and yeah, they made like music that was just like avant garde and mixed uh, electronica with new age and you know rock and you know all different kinds of genres and you know into whatever sounds best, basically, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Good Times a great puzzle piece, and I just want to add another thing to that because yeah, of course it was on my list as well. Yeah, um, bitch. But <laughs> the the two main characters uh in these two movies and i think this says something more to the director than the actors playing those characters but michael mann and then the safety brothers they're so good with atmosphere and they're able to create this atmosphere where those main characters seem to know their surroundings so well that it's something you don't really see in a lot of other movies where you you believe 100% and it's not just the performance, but it's everything around the performance. You believe that these characters know their way in and out of every situation that they're getting themselves into because maybe they've been there before, maybe they've had other crazy situations that they've been a part of in those different uh, locations. It's just, there's so much to it. It feels so lived in. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the just meticulous nature of the planning that these directors put into it. Okay. So I will uh, jump on from there to another puzzle piece here. I'm going to go with a movie that not a lot of people have seen. So I thought it would be an interesting one to bring up here, uh, even if you probably haven't seen it yourself. But it, it's a 2016 movie shot here in Las Vegas starring Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood. It's called The Trust. And I actually recorded a guest appearance on the Cage Rage podcast talking about this movie. That's going to be coming out sometime soon. I don't know. Maybe it's up already by the time this goes up. It's about uh, two dirty cops who they they find out about this uh, this person who's been uh, recently arrested, and they find out that this guy has a safe hidden uh, above his apartment, and they are going to break into his safe because there's no way anybody's going to find out about it because it's just sitting there, and it goes on, and it's surprisingly detailed in how meticulous they get into how they're going to crack into the safe and the tools they're going to use and actually trying to make this feel authentic and real. And of course, the whole time you have no idea if this is real. You just are kind of going along with it like, I guess they figured out how the best way to crack a safe would be with their limited resources. Like, 
talking about these characters, I guess I'm just going to believe it because they're so charismatic, because they seem like they really know what they're doing. It seems so authentic. And uh, so you end up going along with it. And from what I understand, I ended up uh, reading a couple of interviews. I, they really did learn in Thief how to crack a safe, which is kind of insane. But I guess that yeah. just speaks to Michael Mann's attention to detail. I have no idea if that's what happened with the trust or if it's just good old fashioned movie magic. But uh, Nicolas Cage is a lot of fun in this movie. Um, it's not one of the bad crazy Nicolas Cage movies. It's a genuinely underappreciated one. And the fact that it's shot in Las Vegas, I figured I'd give it a little shout out here. I've never seen that. Was it good? I, I genuinely liked it a lot. I was surprised. Um, I It's something I had been wanting to see for a while now, um, and I, I just got around to it, because like I said, it's from 2016. I know a few people who are like bit extras in it, because it really was shot here, and uh, yeah, it it's surprisingly good. I really liked it a lot. You should check it out. Okay, I will. I'll, I'll give it a crack. That's not a movie that ever would have like gotten to me. I don't, yeah, you know. yeah. So hopefully people check it out. But what do you got for your next piece, Dave? You know how certain movies just kind of get like lost to time. Like they were definitely they definitely came out, and people went and saw them, whether they were either you know marginally successful or like marginal failures or flops or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like they inspired no conversation after the fact. Mm-hmm. Now here we are, forty years later, talking about Thief. And like, great, it's good. It's an incredible movie. This movie I'm going to invoke next, it did not achieve the same uh, the same level of, of fame, maybe in another 20 years, because it came out 20 years ago, maybe in another 20 years, we will be talking about it in a more positive light. But I'm talking about 2001's The Score with, um, I don't know if you remember this one or not. Sure. Uh, Robert De Niro, Edward Norton. Um, I think it was the last credit by Marlon Brando? Yeah, I believe so. I think so. it was his last movie. And funny enough, I think that Thief was Tuesday Wells' last movie. I might be mistaken there. That I'm not sure um, about, but I'm pretty sure about Marlon Brando, yeah. Yeah, because I think Jessica Walter canceled Tuesday Weld. Nobody needed any more Tuesday Weld because they had <laughs> Jessica Walter. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. And uh, not to Tuesday Weld, who was alive in like 97, but yeah. So, and Angela Bassett was also in the score directed by Frank Oz. If you yeah, I know. It. That's weird. <laughs> so weird, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, again, this one is just a very surface level take. And uh, it's guaranteed that this movie was inspired by just watch like the first 30, 40 minutes. The guy has like, there's a scene in Thief where he's yelling at Tuesday Weld, where, um, you know, James Conn's yelling at Tuesday Weld. Uh, and they're in a fight and he's talking about like his lifestyle. Like, what do you think I am? I drive a, I think he's like, I drive a brand new Cadillac. I have like, you know, a new suit every week. And that reminds me a lot of uh, Robert De Niro's character in the score. He's sort of this aging middle-aged expert weighing the, uh, you know, weighing the, the, the risk, weighing the danger um, always ready to walk away from a job if it goes wrong. That's how he stays out of prison. He's a guy that has a, has a uh, philosophy. He mm. has a, um, a code of the way he handles things. And then in this case, it's Edward Norton. And in the case of Thief, it is um, you know the, the various mob-associated characters that, that engulf James Conn's character. But in both movies, somebody fucks it up. We were talking recently on a different podcast about like, you know when you meet the guy that's going to fuck things up for you. Right, right. Like yeah. th- that character that's like, oh, he's going to be a problem. You're going to, you know, you're going to get fucked over by that guy. Don't trust that guy. And both of these movies in the execution of their last, the last, and that's of course the other trope, right? The last big score, yeah. right? The one, one more score and then I'm calling it, calling it, calling it a career. And uh, so yeah, um, 2001's The Score. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one. Um, I that's another movie that like I saw it the one time in the theater. You know, opening weekend, everybody did completely memory hold. It was yeah. such a big deal, and and I I feel like nobody really remembers it. I think you're nobody right. It is completely memory hold. Yeah, it's just gone. It's lost to history, which is so weird with that cast. And yeah, do but, you think uh, it yeah, has no. something to do with like the controversial choice of Edward Norton to like play a fully mentally disabled person? throughout like three quarters of the movie 
Ed, Edward Norton was on one for a few movies in a row back then. <laughs> Edward Norton had so much capital accrued that he was like Scrooge McDuck diving into piles of money. Except instead of gold coins, they were like director's projects. Like, do whatever you want with my project. Just do anything. Okay, well, I think that this guy's going to pretend that he's, you know, mentally retarded. Oh, that's great. Do that then. I got to tell you, I saw Motherless Brooklyn. What took him so long to make that movie? Come on. Kidding me? If he had had like what, what one less uh, flop back in that that era, he would have gotten to make that so many years ago. Yeah, just like yeah, exactly. Take off, um, I don't know, the score. Don't do the score, and <laughs> yeah. you could have just made Motherless Brooklyn before your face started to droop. <laughs> oh God, Jesus Christ! Love you, Ed. Uh, he's great. He's great. Well. I'm going to go to my next piece here, and they can't all be winners. Uh, sometimes these puzzle pieces are not very good movies. And I am going to go with one that I just recently watched for the first time for Awesome Movie Year. Ocean's 8. No. Although I did think you were going to bring up an Ocean's movie when you were uh, doing that big lead up to uh, movies that have, have been forgotten. I thought you were just joking. But um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, a movie I just watched for Awesome Movie Year's 2003 season. It's called Geely. And it is Jesus fucking Christ. The famous Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez bomb. And mainly because part of the reason the movie is so bad is Ben Affleck is basically doing a James Conn in Thief impression the whole movie. And he's uh-huh. terrible at it. it is Doesn't he make so like a bad. whole bunch of like um, really bad lesbian jokes and stuff? Oh, yeah. And, there, there's, yeah. there's a lot. Uh, Justin Bartha as, as a mentally challenged guy that they've oh jeez i forgot uh, yeah, about it, that it, it's it's so 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 bad but somehow worst of all is poor ben affleck who i know we both love i mean i love him as a director we've liked a lot of his you know comedy stuff a lot of his serious stuff just across the board he's he's had so many great things this is just a big misstep and i think it was maybe just a little out of his depth trying to do this character this just tough guy with a heart of gold who you know really wants to get out of the crime life but uh you know he he kind of he doesn't really know how to make that step to get out and get out from under everything that he's built his current life around and uh yeah ben affleck does a very bad job at it how about this one dave Mm-hmm. I have nothing to say about Julie. Terrible, you, as like, you should, as you shouldn't. No, it's just a dog shit movie. <laughs> I know that there are some contrarians out there who are like, actually, it's pretty good, but like, they're no, wrong. They're it's very bad. Wrong. Um, <laughs> it, there, there are ben, ben Affleck movies that I mix up with each other and and put them together. So Julie, I always think, has the plot line of Julie with the plot line of Jersey Girl on it. Sure. So I always, I always like, am like, okay, he's a, he's like a, a whatever, like killer, you know, criminal, but he has this daughter and then it's like, no, those are two separate movies. And then there's another one. There's a movie where, and I don't remember the title of either of these. There's a movie where this is in the era when Ben Affleck's career almost like ended. Like oh, people yeah. were not going to, people like were not going to get, cause he had like five real fucking bombs right in a row. Oh yeah. Uh, and um, there are two plane movies. Right, one is where he's with Sandra Bullock, and they can't get on the plane. They get on the plane, but the plane can't go anywhere, so they have to drive together. They're not, they, and and um, they fall in love with each other, even though they're like complete opposites, you know. But of they course. drive to a wedding um, where Ben Affleck is supposed to be getting married, and then by the time he gets there, he's fully fallen out of love with his wife, and uh, I guess starts a relationship with Sandra Bullock. And I mix that up with this other plane movie where Ben Affleck trades his seat on a plane and Gwyneth Paltrow's husband takes it and dies. And so Gwyneth, and like dies in a plane crash. So Gwyneth Paltrow's character thinks that her husband survived and it turns out he didn't. And then like she's grieving and, um, and Ben Affleck does some weird creepy thing where he looks her up and starts to date her without telling her the story. And so I, comp- I confuse those two movies too, where it's like Ben Affleck gets off a plane and then it crashes and then he has to drive really far with Sandra Bullock to get to Gwyneth Paltrow. And for some reason, then everybody, they, they, they all fall in love with each other. Like 
those movies were so bad. Just that a terrible string of, of movies. And I'm sure they're all within like a three three or four year range there. And they're just all so bad. But anybody listening at home, if you know what those movies are, uh, write in and maybe you'll win a Bounce. t-shirt. One of them is called Bounce. Bounce. I, that, is that what that movie is called? Bounce is the yeah. one with Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I remember that I she's in a movie called, called Bounce, but I don't remember that being the plot, but maybe it is. That was the plot, is that Ben Affleck trades seats with her husband and on an airplane and proceeds the husband proceeds to die, and then Ben Affleck gets obsessed with the family that he left behind. I don't remember if there are kids involved or whatever, but he goes and he like creeps on Gwyneth Paltrow and starts dating her. Wow, that's stupid. Anyway, is it my turn yet? <laughs> yeah, it's your turn. It's What's fucking your stupid week? as shit. It was that only during the early 2000s did you yeah. see movies like that, those plots, those fucking. The, during the death of the rom com is where they were like, okay, but what if we push the boundaries a little bit and make it fucking stupider? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to do Ocean's Eleven, Dave, but I'm, I, you know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to make this be my last piece. Okay. My last piece is going to be 2018's Widows. Okay. Which is another crime, uh, great crime film. I would be shocked if this movie was not influenced by Thief. Again, you talked before about the procedural stuff, about all the like sort of um, craftsmanship that goes into being the crook that gets away with this, and uh, there's a lot of that on display in Widows. Uh, cr- I think a criminally underrated movie. I thought it was great. I know you're not, you weren't that big of a fan of it, yeah, but I thought it was a great movie, and I thought that uh, again, the vulnerability of the protagonists, where they're not just like they're very competent. They know what they're doing. They have their plan, and they've practiced it, and the, you know, professional, whatever. And they, but, but, like, but they, it could still go wrong, and they could still lose. And in some, some stretches, they do lose, right? So, yeah, I, I, I like Widows, and I know you weren't a huge fan of that movie, but. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that movie, but I know it definitely has its fans, and I could definitely see the influence on it, um, you know, especially from, you know, again, it's kind of what I was talking about with Good Time, that that sense of uh, location and sense of knowing exactly what your location and what your atmosphere is and having that affect the characters in a real way. It seeps into the performance, it seeps into the person that you're watching on screen. Yeah. What do you got? So I will go with, I was going to go with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but we kind of already went into some anti-hero stuff. So I'm going to go with a different TV show uh, and go with The Sopranos um, because, you know, you've got these, you know, tough guy gangsters who, you know, they've, they're dealing with these emotions inside that they, you know, they kind of don't know how to deal with because they are criminals and they are tough dudes. And, and so it's like, they're trying to, you know, navigate that whole thing and having so much trouble with it. Also cry. Yes, that's right. Strong men. Also that's friend. right. And, uh, you know, James Conn's Frank, uh, he's got a vision board that he carries with him. So, I mean, he's very much in tune with his emotions and what he's that's trying brilliant. to uh, Brilliant. Do. He should be cashing in on that. that, <laughs> should, that the, the Michael Mann should have made a billion dollars off of that. He invented vision boards. He really did, kind of. I, I think so. I, I don't know if they existed before that point. <laughs> what, what was your favorite part of his vision board? Was it the strippers that were on it? <laughs> was there an alcohol bottle on it? There was a bottle of alcohol. <laughs> it was a pretty badass vision board. It's funny because maybe that should have only been the only one ever made because it was the only good one ever made. It was made. the best, yeah. It usually best when you one. go back to the original, that is usually the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you're out of pieces, right? I'm out of pieces unless you really want to invoke the, the oceans. <laughs> I thought it'd be cute and say oceans eight, but... Um, I feel like that's, I think all Soderbergh stuff owes a debt. I don't want to say that he's so similar to Michael Mann because that's not true. He definitely has a different perspective, but to try to say like Steven Soderbergh was influenced by Michael Mann is a weird move, I think, because Mm -hmm. Steven Soderbergh is Steven Soderbergh on his own merit. I mean, and they're, I don't know their ages, but they seem like they're contemporaries, right? Yeah, I would say so, most likely. But Michael uh, Mann's getting pretty old, though, right? He's got to be like in his eighties by now, or something. I th- yeah, I think he's eighty-two. Maybe I could be completely yeah. wrong on that. But Steven I think Soderbergh's I read that. still a relatively young guy, right? Like he's like probably in his like late sixties or something. Six, yeah, late sixties, I would say. But um, but I'm sure he freaking loves Michael Mann. I mean, 
what what filmmaker doesn't grow up loving Michael Mann, like yeah. current filmmaker? But uh, what else you got, Dave? Yeah, I, I'll you know we could sit here and name movies you know all night that that were inspired by our filmmakers. But I'm just gonna go out with uh, one one last puzzle piece. Not a movie, not a TV show, but a video game. I'm gonna go with Grand Theft Auto Five. Which, first of all, is completely a Michael Mann movie turned into a video game, but also was even scored by Tangerine Dream, or at least used some Tangerine Dream music in it. So, come on. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I were to throw, like, one last one onto the... uh, It would be like... This one was kicking around in my head, so I just Googled it right now. And it would be like, this is a format betrayal just like what you just hey, did. things other than movies are allowed uh this is tv in t in the world of tv i would just say like the collected legendary career of david milch right on television sure right like hill street blues nypd blue deadwood deadwood has a lot of of um not just michael mann but it has a lot of like uh, a lot of thief in it uh dexter you know like i i, I just think that Luck. I know you never got to watch Luck. No. Luck was a, a show where they just couldn't stop killing all the horses, so HBO had to <laughs> oh, had to cancel show. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Gr- I mean, like, are you kidding me, D- Dave? I tell you that there's a TV show out there, and that this is the cast: Dustin Hoffman, Dennis for the TV show, Dustin Hoffman, Dennis Farina, uh, who else was in it? Uh, Richard Kind, Jill Hennessy, Nick Nolte. And a bunch of people that you like kind of know, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, sure, you know, Michael, like Michael Gambon and, um, you know, Joan Allen and Tom Payne and just like everybody, just a, a, a who's who, you know, and just this Richard Kind, you know, Richard Kind, right? oh, yeah, I love him, the guy who's gonna play you one yeah. day <laughs> in your life story. <laughs> I don't know, Q, what do you think about it? Do you want to do another episode later? <laughs> anyway, David Milch. Oh God! Well, yeah, good, good one to uh, throw in there. Really good one to end on, Q. (laughs) So I, you know, I, I, I think. think, uh, Oh no! Oh God! (laughs) It's impossible to do these with you. I, I I love doing with you, but it's just so difficult. Aren't they also like your far and away most downloaded ones? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that does it for Thief. I think we got into a bunch of what makes it, you know, so influential here. But uh, Q, is there another movie you watched recently that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Um, I want to recommend the HBO Max series, Warrior. There you go. Listeners. It's nothing like Thief. frankly it's nothing like anything you've ever seen it's the best action i've seen uh, committed to the screen for television i've i've other than maybe like early 2000s tony jaw movies i haven't seen action this good um and just so everyone understands just before we recorded this we were recording a bird road episode and before we started and after we finished q switched the screen to screen sharing so i could watch part of an episode with him that's how excited he is about this show right now i love it and it just got renewed for a third season that nobody thought was going to happen because despite it being critically praised by the way it was like all critics loved that show and it had strong viewership considering it was on fucking cinemax um it's been renewed for a third season because it's been moved over to hbo max and hbo max apparently has the power to green light things that people thought were dead mm-hmm. and uh cinemax people w- will remember at the beginning of, I think, 2019, they abandoned, this was before HBO Max was a for certain thing that was going to happen. Um, Cinemax, as part of a larger business strategy, abandoned um, original programming. Mm-hmm. So they, they cut all their shows down. That's why Banshee died. That's why a number of shows that I really love died. Um, that number is two. Because it's Banshee and Warrior. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was thinking, I was like, I don't think there's any more on this list. That's it. Um, yeah, so anyway, check out Warrior on HBO Max. Awesome. Well, uh, why don't you go ahead and plug what you got going on right now? Everybody, you guys got to go check out uh, the Bird Road podcast. Uh, that's it. Hey, Q, thanks so much for being here. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> Thank you.
comic book stores, sports card shops, the exciting atmospheres of being a geek kid in the 90s. I'm Micah, a 36-year-old girl dad, hubby, and geek. And on the Tavern Geek Podcast, my friends and I ramble on about geek culture and NBA basketball while enjoying crafted adult beverages. So, kick back and enjoy us, the Tavern Geeks. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Michael Mann's Thief. Thank you to Q for being here. Make sure you're subscribed to Bird Road. We've been uh, we've been back to weekly, I think, lately. Maybe we skipped a week here or there, but uh, we, we've been putting in work, putting that bird road together for you guys, so make sure to give it a listen and check out everything else going on here on the All Points West Podcast Network. Uh, as always, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. We're, of course, on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio... I happen to listen on Pocket Cast, but you may be listening on one of those other apps. Wherever you listen, make sure to subscribe. Uh, also, if you really like what you're hearing here on the show, make sure to leave us a review. You could do that on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. And you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget to share Piecing It Together. If you like the show, make sure to share it. We are always trying to reach new listeners and when you share the show that gets us in front of new listeners so we thank you so much whenever you share the show uh also if you really 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 want to support what we're doing here you can check out our patreon where this episode is actually going to live for a couple of weeks until i decide to post it uh but yes our produced by david rosen patreon i post advanced episodes of piecing it together bonus content from piecing it together also bonus content from Awesome Movie Year, from some of the other podcasts that I'm uh, involved with, and then also from my music career, which I did mention earlier in the show. If you like the music in Thief, I really do think that from now on, you know, when I distribute my albums, it asks me, what are three artists that you sound like? So that way it could kind of get you in with the algorithms and all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to start putting Tangerine Dream because I was really surprised. Not that I wasn't familiar with Tangerine Dream's work. I knew that it was kind of in the same ballpark, but I was like, wow, yeah, this is uh, this is basically what I do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you like what I do, there's plenty of my music available out there uh on itunes on spotify but also on the patreon and i am going to play us out with a piece of that kind of music i am going to go with the closing track from my most recent album david rosen this is called the very last thing and i definitely think fits in that kind of a style that tangerine dream are so well known for and uh that this freaking awesome soundtrack is known for so let's go with the very last thing thank you all so much for listening we will be back with more piecing it together coming up real soon
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. I'm gonna go with one a little. Wait, that's it. That's it for that's it for yours. What's that? That's it for your piece. Wait, no, that, turn is it? You, you just did good time. So I, I did was just good time. Yeah, I was just adding sorry. to good. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Okay, uh, so I'm gonna go on to another piece here, and I know what's happening. What's happening here? I know what's going on. What's going? I'm not on? confused. I'm not an idiot. All right, <laughs> it's gonna be. I'm great. not staring at Evernote at full size on my large 24 inch screen. I'm not burning out my retinas staring at the same five movies. And this Nicholas Winding Refn's name. I, I know what you're up to. I want you to go on to your next puzzle piece, but I just want you to know that I know what you're up to. I don't know how I'm going to say edit it. This. <laughs> I'm going to edit this fucking thing. Uh, you know okay. how you edit it? This is huh. how you take the raw file just and throw you just it up. upload it. You Done. upload the, the, the wave file. One take that, take that, Michael, man. <laughs> take that, my <laughs> subscribers' data plans. <laughs> one and a half gigabyte podcast and le- leave the bird road on the beginning <laughs> yeah just leave <laughs> leave our whole recording session together you're really giving people a peek behind the the, the curtain as it were 